Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 174. Apple Watch is a runaway train. Hi, I'm Neil. We currently find ourselves in the middle of this year's fall product unveiling cycle. Companies are introducing new products ahead of this year's holiday shopping season. Due to the pandemic, we are seeing a very different type of unveiling cycle this year. Instead of in-person events, companies have moved to taped presentations. Apple has set the bar for what is possible with these presentations. Its WWDC keynote was extremely well done. The production value was very impressive. And I think consensus reaction was extremely upbeat. Heading into the summer, there were plenty of questions as to how these companies would transition from in-person events where you would unveil new software, new services, new hardware in front of an audience, including members of the press, employees. How do you take that and convert it into a virtual presentation that probably will be taped that still was able to connect with the audience, that still was able to generate buzz, and get people talking about the event. And I think Apple set the tone with that WWDC keynote. We then saw Apple with its Time Flies event last month, another pretty good presentation. I thought some parts were flat, and I think a lot of that had to do with unveiling new hardware, which is not easy. (laughs) And more recently, we've had events from Amazon and Google, which I thought were fine. I don't think they were too memorable, and maybe a lot of that had to do with the products that were announced, but I do think overall they were better this year than last year when there were in-person events. Looking back over the past few weeks, one major theme jumped out at me, and it had to do with Apple Watch. The discussion found in today's episode is going to be dedicated to going over my observations as to what I'm seeing and what I think is going on here. It all started with the way Apple unveiled products this fall. We don't have one major product event. Instead, Apple split its traditional September event into two. One reason was to accommodate a different release schedule for this year's flagship iPhones. This revised schedule ended up helping the Apple Watch a lot. Because this year, the Apple Watch was not in the shadow of new flagship iPhones. Instead, the Apple Watch sort of got its own event. This is the first time it's happened in years. If you spent some time on Twitter over the past few weeks, you probably would notice there's a lot more chatter about Apple Watch this time around. And then watching these product unveilings from Amazon and Google, I couldn't help but see some pretty dramatic changes in product strategy and also product framing. In a few months, the number of people wearing an Apple Watch will surpass 100 million. While the tech press spent years infatuated with stationary smart speakers and the idea of voice-only interfaces, It was the Apple Watch and utility and the wrist that ushered in a new paradigm shift in computing. We are now seeing Apple leverage the growing number of Apple Watch wearers to build a formidable health platform. 
Looking back over the past few weeks, I think it's become extremely clear. The Apple Watch is a runaway train. And there is no company in the position to slow it down. We are coming off a weird stretch for the tech industry. When we look back at the mid-2000s, we did have clear signs of smartphone sales growth slowing. And this led companies, analysts, and pundits to search for the next big thing. The search landed on stationary smart speakers and voice interfaces. Companies who weren't able to leverage the smartphone revolution with their own hardware were placing massive bets on digital voice assistants that were going to supposedly usher in the end of the smartphone era. Instead of betting on premium hardware to deliver these digital voice assistants, these companies looked at cheap stationary speakers placed throughout the home as a primary delivery mechanism. Massive PR campaigns were launched that attempted to convince people about this post-smartphone future. Unfortunately for these companies, glowing press coverage cannot hide a product category's fundamental design shortcomings. While all of this was going on, at nearly every turn, Apple was said to be missing the voice train. Apple was said to be too dependent on iPhone revenue to notice what was going on. Management was said to suffer from tunnel vision. Apple's approach to privacy came under attack. The way Apple treated customer data was positioned as a long-term headwind that would lead to inferior results in artificial intelligence relative to the competition. Simply put, Apple was viewed as losing control of where technology was headed following the mobile revolution. Using the analogy of surfing, Apple missed the next big wave. There were glaring signs that narratives surrounding smart speakers and Apple lacking a coherent strategy for the future were off the mark. We talked about this back in episode 113. It's a smart speaker mirage. That episode was based on an Above Avalon article that I published in November 2017. I think it is valuable to go over a part of that article in today's episode because I think it's going to add context to what is now taking place in 2020. Instead of chopping up this particular passage, I did want to read it in its entirety. So here is what I wrote in November 2017 in the article titled, A Stationary Smart Speaker Barrage. On the surface, Amazon Echo sales point to a burgeoning product category. A 15 million plus annual sales pace for a product category that is only three years old is quite the accomplishment. This has led to prognostications of stationary smart speakers representing a new paradigm in technology. However, relying too much on Echo sales will lead to incomplete or faulty conclusions. The image portrayed by Echo sales isn't what it seems. In fact, it is only a matter of time before it becomes clear the stationary home speaker is shaping up to be one of the largest head fakes in tech. We are already starting to see early signs of disappointment begin to appear. I don't think stationary smart speakers represent the future of computing. Instead, companies are using smart speakers to take advantage of an awkward phase of technology in which there doesn't seem to be any clear direction as to where things are headed. 
Consumers are buying cheap smart speakers powered by digital voice assistants without having any strong convictions regarding how such voice assistants should or can be used. The major takeaway from customer surveys regarding smart speaker usage is that there isn't any clear trend. If anything, smart speakers are being used for rudimentary tasks that can just as easily be done with digital voice assistants found on smartwatches or smartphones. This environment paints a very different picture of the current health of the smart speaker market. The narrative in the press is simply too rosy and optimistic. Ultimately, smart speakers end up competing with a seemingly unlikely product category, wearables. And again, that is a passage from an article that I published in November 2017 titled, A Stationary Smart Speaker Mirage. Three years later, I wouldn't change one thing found in that passage. The smart speaker bubble popped less than 12 months after publishing that article. The product category no longer has a buzz factor, and despite the hopes of Amazon and Google, people are not using stationary speakers for much else besides listening to music and accomplishing rudimentary tasks like setting kitchen timers. The primary problem found with voice is that it's not a great medium for transferring a lot of data, information, and context. As a result, companies including Amazon and Google have needed to dial back their grandiose vision for voice-first and voice-only paradigms. Last week's Amazon hardware event highlighted a growing bet on screens. That's a complete reversal from what the company was betting on during the second half of the 2010s. As companies who missed the smartphone boat were placing bets on stationary speakers, Apple was placing a dramatically different bet on a small device with a screen. This device wouldn't be stationary, but instead pushed the definition of mobile by being worn on the wrist. Johnny Ive, who is credited with leading Apple's push into wrist wearables, referred to the wrist as, quote, the obvious and right place, end quote, for a different kind of computer. When Apple unveiled the Apple Watch in 2014, wearable computing on the wrist was more of a promise than anything else. Apple ended up creating an entirely new industry, something that isn't found much in the traditional Apple playbook. After years of deep skepticism and cynicism, consensus reaction towards Apple Watch has changed and is now positive. Much of this is due to the fact that it's impossible to miss Apple Watches appearing on wrists around the world. According to my estimates, approximately 35% of iPhone users in the U.S. now wear an Apple Watch. That's a shockingly high percentage for a five-year-old product category. And it says a lot about how Apple's intuition about the wrist was right. I did want to point out, I published the methodology that I relied on to arrive at that adoption estimate. It included various calculations and estimates. All of that was found in a daily update that I sent out to above Avala members. It is clear that Apple Watch momentum is building. The number of people wearing an Apple Watch continues to steadily increase. According to my estimate, there were 81 million people wearing an Apple Watch as of the end of June. According to Apple, 75% of Apple Watch sales are going to first-time customers. This means that 23 million people will have bought their first Apple Watch in 2020. To put that number in context, there are about 25 million people wearing a Fitbit. 
This means the Apple Watch install base is increasing by the size of Fitbit's overall install base every 12 months. In the newest article published at AboveAvalon.com, I included an exhibit that highlights the change in the Apple Watch install base over the years. At the end of 2015, the Apple Watch install base, again, that's another way of saying the number of people wearing an Apple Watch, it stood at 5 million. A year later, it was 12 million. At the end of 2017, that had jumped to 26 million. Then 42 million for 2018. In 2019, that jumped even higher to 63 million. And my estimate is that there will be 85 million people wearing an Apple Watch at the end of 2020. This raises a question. From where is Apple Watch deriving its momentum? The answer is found in the grand unified theory of Apple products. One of the core tenets of my theory is that an Apple product category's design is tied to the role it is meant to play relative to other Apple products. The Apple Watch is designed to handle a growing number of tasks once given to the iPhone. The iPhone is designed to handle a growing number of tasks given to the iPad. One can continue this exercise to cover all of Apple's major product categories. Apple Watch is not an iPhone replacement because there are things done in an iPhone that can't be done in an Apple Watch. This ends up being a feature, not a bug. The Apple Watch's design then allows the product to handle entirely new tasks that can't be handled on an iPhone. This attribute goes a long way in explaining how Apple Watch has helped usher in a new paradigm shift in computing. We talked about that topic in detail in episode 163, A Revolution on the Wrist. Apple Watch wearers are able to interact with technology differently. This brings us to a topic that begins to connect all of the dots. Apple is leveraging all of this Apple Watch momentum to build an entirely new platform that will likely set the company apart from its peers for decades. We're talking about health. In January 2019, Tim Cook surprised many by saying Apple will be remembered more for its contributions to health than any other reason. Here's Cook. Quote, I believe if you zoom out into the future and you look back and you ask the question, what was Apple's greatest contribution to mankind? It will be about health, unquote. Many assume that Cook's comment hinted at Apple unveiling a portfolio of medical-grade devices that would go through the FDA approval process. Such thinking was based on a fundamental misunderstanding of Apple's ambition and approach to product development. Apple's health strategy is based on leveraging hardware, software, and services to rethink the way we approach health. Apple wasn't just going to launch a depository for our health data something that is needed, but which ultimately falls short of being truly revolutionary. In addition, Apple wasn't going to just offer health and fitness services that amount to counting steps or keeping track of miles run. By time Cook gave his bullish comment about health, Apple had already placed its big bet on health four years earlier by unveiling the Apple Watch. And what ended up being one of Apple's best decisions the company avoided going the route of medical-grade devices requiring government agency approval to reach customers. Instead, 
Apple framed its health platform as a new age computer that ultimately is an iPhone alternative. Health monitoring is one of the key new tasks that the Apple Watch, not iPhone, handles. To be more precise, Apple Watch is handling four health-related items. The first is proactive monitoring. And this is seen with what Apple's been doing with heart rate and blood oxygen. The second is well-being assistance. And we see this with sleep monitoring, including the run-up to sleep. If you've had some time to test out the new sleep monitoring functionality on Apple Watch, you will notice that the actual act of monitoring your sleep almost really isn't even the focus. Instead, there is value in monitoring and then assisting you to get ready to sleep. This ends up being pretty powerful because we are starting to move into the act of changing one's behavior. If you're getting reminders on your iPhone and Apple Watch that, you know, it's, it's time to begin thinking about sleep, maybe changing your activity so that you have an easier time falling asleep, I think most people will find that a lot more valuable than just getting some type of summary in the morning of how you actually slept. For most people, they don't need a summary to let them know that they didn't have a good night or that they weren't able to get enough sleep. The third health-related item that the Apple Watch is handling is fitness and activity tracking. And of course, we see this with the activity and workout apps. And then there is fitness and health activity, and we can point to Apple Fitness Plus as an example of that. When it comes to Apple Fitness Plus, Apple didn't just release a virtual fitness workout service. Instead, Apple Fitness Plus is an Apple Watch service. In some ways, Apple Fitness Plus reminds me of Apple TV Plus, a future in which Fitness Plus workouts are available on third-party gym equipment displays, including treadmills and stationary bikes, is not a stretch. In addition, classes from other companies such as Nike could further elevate Apple Fitness Plus. If the Apple Watch is a runaway train, there is no obvious candidate in a position to stop or even slow the train. While other companies are slowly waking up and seeing the momentum found with Apple Watch, there is still much indifference, mystery, and misunderstanding as to why people are buying wearables. Too many companies still think of wearables as glorified smartphone accessories. Such thinking makes it impossible for competitors to see how Apple Watch is ushering in a paradigm shift in computing by making technology more personal in a way that other devices have failed to accomplish or replicate. One of the main takeaways from Apple's product event last month is how Apple is its own toughest competitor. The Apple Watch's most legitimate competition is found with older Apple Watches and non-consumption, another way of saying empty wrist. While this introduces its own set of risks and challenges for Apple, there is still no genuine Apple Watch competition from companies even after six years. This ultimately is an indication of the power found in controlling your own hardware, software, and services in order to get more out of technology without having technology take over people's lives. That's going to do it for today's episode. 
If you enjoy listening to this podcast, I think you'll be interested in my new daily podcast called Above Avalon Daily. Four new episodes are published each week. Each episode is about 15 minutes. The podcast closely follows the written daily updates that I publish. Episodes cover everything that I think matters in the world of Apple. I talk about everything from Apple business and product strategy, various theories that I have developed over the years regarding how Apple approaches the world, my perspective and observations on current news and Apple competitors, my Apple financial estimates and full coverage of Apple earnings, product events, and keynotes. The daily podcast allows the daily updates to be accessible beyond your screen so you can listen around the house, on a walk, or in the car. There are two sample podcast episodes available over at AboveAvalon.com. Just go to the daily podcast page and you will be able to listen to those sample episodes that will give you an idea of what the podcast is like. September was the first full month of offering the daily podcast. There are now 25 episodes available with six and a half hours of audio. All of those episodes will appear in your favorite podcast player once you sign up for the podcast, which relies on private RSS feeds. The new daily podcast is priced as an add-on feature that can be attached to an above Avalon membership. The add-on is available for either $10 per month or $100 per year. Signing up for the podcast is very simple. There's no need to create a username, profile. In the vast majority of cases, you don't even need to copy or paste links or addresses. There are sign-up forms available in which you can both create a membership and sign up for the daily podcast at the same time and Apple Pay is accepted. Along with the above Avalon Daily podcast, the daily updates continue to be available as written emails delivered straight into your inbox throughout the week. These 2,000-word updates continue to be the cornerstone of Above Avalon membership. If you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in this podcast episode and in the articles over at AboveAvalon.com, which are accessible to everyone, I think you will find value in becoming an Above Avalon member and receiving these daily updates now available in both written and audio forms. To become an Above Avalon member, head on over to AboveAvalon.com and go to the membership page. There are two membership options available. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is fully supported by memberships. If you are currently an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. If you are planning on becoming a member, I will give you an early welcome and thank you in advance. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.